Father, we thank you for this time together. We, um, we're humbled by the gift of your grace and your kindness to us. We pray that you would teach us to have hearts that are submissive to you and not always looking for a, a way to assert our own um, authority and our own attempts at dethroning you in our hearts. It's easy to do, it's easy to rise up and be um, the judge or try to be the creator or try to manipulate our own uh, world through our actions and not submit to your providence and your grace and your rule in our lives. So we pray for hearts that are malleable, are tender toward your instruction, are receptive to your wisdom, and then engage in discerning what is truth and what is error, and then living out the truth. Well, we know one of those ways that you do that, the primary way that you do that is through the study of your word. And then the through the means of your people building each other up um, by your spirit. And so we pray that we are, um, again, humbled and submissive to the authority of your word and receptive to the working of your spirit through your church. I pray for all the classes this morning that that would be the case. Be with us this morning as we study through the next section and pray that Christ will be glorified. In his name we pray, amen. We are continuing on through the book of the covenant, which is Exodus 22, today's section at least, Exodus 22, verse 28 through chapter 23, verse 9. Chapter 22, starting at verse 28, and we're going to be going through chapter 23, verse 9 today. Um, By way of review, the book of the covenant follows the Ten Commandments. It is descriptive of the nature of God and time and space for the nation of Israel. It is grounded in what is prescriptive or what is eternal, which is the Ten Commandments, God revealing himself and his nature there. So uh, the next section we're looking at actually is kind of a, a lot of um, a lot of smart guys will say that these are just miscellaneous laws right before you get to the Sabbath section. I don't know that it's necessarily as shotgun as they may argue that it is. It, and we'll talk about it as we, as we get there toward the end. I don't think it's a miscellaneous collection, but we'll just see here, and maybe you can anticipate where I'm going. I'm sure you will be able to, actually, where I'm going uh, before we get to the end. Let's look at verse 28. <clears throat> you shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest... And from the outflow of your presses, the firstborn of your sons you shall give to me, 
You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with its mother. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. You shall be consecrated to me. Therefore you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to become to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Anybody see the connection? Feels a little scattershot, doesn't it? Let's take them uh, in order here. <coughs> Don't curse God. You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. There are two words for curse here. The first word carries the basic meaning of esteem lightly. It's the opposite of kabed. We've talked about that before, the, the Lord's glory, that kabed means weightiness, heaviness. And this is the opposite of that. Big pop question here. Where is this grounded? Where would we say this is grounded in the prescriptive law? First commandment? Think through. What's the first one? Know the gods before me? Second is? No image. Third is? Taking his name in vain. Does that sound familiar this morning? Remember we talked about how taking the Lord's name in vain is not just the set of taboo words that we may use. But it involves that, but even more, if you bear the name of Christ, if you bear God's name as the people of Israel did, your actions testify to the weight of who he is. Remember we talked about that? Well, here we have, again, it reiterated, don't curse God. Don't use his name lightly. But it's linked to something. What is it linked to? To what is it linked? Yeah. Prepositions. The rest of the other well, how about the rest of the verse? Now, why do you think, and, and the way it's constructed, I know this is the way it's constructed, it says, uh, let's see, God you shall not curse. And then the next sentence says, a leader you shall not curse. Right? That's God, the emphasis in the first sentence, a leader, the emphasis in the second sentence. And they're constructed the same way. What do you, what do you, what do you gather from that? Why do you think that it's, it's drafted that way? Because those authorities. 
Where's all authority derived? It's derived from God. That's right. And he puts the leader as God's representative because the leader wouldn't be there without God orchestrating it. And that's good leaders and bad leaders. It's all derived. And how we approach our governmental leaders reflects how we approach, is God good enough? Was he good here in giving us these leaders? So is that what kind of time? It's the same kind of, same kind of idea, but he's putting it in, um, in the context of governmental leadership. The, the second word for curse here, the one that replies to the leader, has an idea of two persons who hate each other and let everyone know it. It's venomous speech against an enemy. And he, he combines that idea, God as primary, the leader as secondary. Um, this has implications for citizens, doesn't it? Yeah. Does it also have implications for the leader? If, if, yes, the leader is not God, he's under God himself, and they shouldn't take it lightly. Um, they're, they're not God themselves, no matter how much they think they may be, right? And what does this do? This sets government under an authority that is outside of us, objective to us. It's not... The, the, the brotherhood of man determining what is right, there is an objective judge uh, on the leaders. And so if God places them there, God's the judge, not me. Right? Yes? This is very similar to the stewardship issue of yeah. property because while we think it's ours and we own it and we can do with it whatever we please, we can't because it's actually God's and we're in charge of it for a time for same thing with leaders. They are in, in charge of being the authority and ruling, if you will, over mm -hmm. the people mm -hmm. for a time, but they're actually stewards for God. And isn't it true that every leader has term limits, regardless of the governmental system? Nobody lives forever. <laughs> now, in our nation, under our laws, thankfully those are shorter. Um, not their lives, but the, the, the term limits. Uh, well, again, I'm not the judge. Except for Bush and Reagan, right? No. Yeah. Tom, I make you listen to some Ray Charles. Um, does it mean then that we do not challenge bad policy or bad action? Is that what that means? That if we say that's wrong, is that reviling the leader? Is that what it's calling? No. Well, and, go ahead. I was going to say it's the difference between disagreeing and disrespecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the difference between disagreeing and disrespecting. That's a good. That's a good well, comparison. And I yeah. Think, I think we can you can challenge policies without going. Yeah, and can we believe that look on his face, or can we believe what she wore, or. Mm -hmm. 
put down kind of thing. Right. It, you know, there, there's no need for that. But saying, well, I disagree with this based on these principles. Right. So disagreeing with the ideas, disagreeing with um, the, the trajectory of the nation because of leadership is perfectly fine. Attacking the person, reviling the person, even if it may be coming the other direction, we're called to be different, right? Distinct. Not play by that game. A um, couple of examples. Can you think of anybody in Scripture from the narratives that we that we are so familiar with that challenged <coughs> governmental authority? Daniel. Daniel. Okay. In what way? Well, they were being faithful to God, not doing what the king wanted them to do. Okay. By praying, consistent prayer. And was thrown into the lion's den, and I think that was the right, right. So we can't. You're not going to worship the symbol of the state. That was Moses and Aaron. Yeah, we're we're in the middle of that one. You need you need some Ray Charles. So. I was thinking uh, uh, John the Baptist. He got very personal with this, uh, with his attack on Herod, for uh, taking his brother Philip's wife. That's kind of, you know, that's not necessarily government policy. That's sin in the camp. And he was very personal about it, and it cost him his life. And yet Jesus said, "From Moses." Till now, there's not been a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Uh, Christ challenged the ruling authorities. That prejudices the argument, I know, because it's Jesus. But at the same time, he came here to do the will of the Father and to submit it to all the laws, including this one, uh, and yet did it without sin. He challenged them very strongly. Yeah. Then the cave where he cut off just the corner of his, his cloak. Will not touch God's anointed, he said. Yeah, very good. Uh, Paul, standing before the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish rulers of the day, was um, castigating a priest and, uh, and, or castigating the, the group uh, for being hip hypocrites and false. And a guy slapped him in the face and he, you know, said some derogatory things to a priest, and then someone told him, the, you're talking to the high priest. So I didn't know that was a high priest. And he quotes this verse against himself. Don't speak evil of your leaders. What's the context of that? In the midst of persecution, he remembers, don't touch God's anointing. Don't, don't speak ill or, or against uh, personally, those who are uh, in authority over you. That's so easy for us to do, isn't it? 
in 140 characters or less. Um, all right. We can disagree. We can challenge upon the standard that is outside of us and higher than the leaders that we are under. However, we have to watch the heart in which we do it. Point to error. Call for justice and, re and repentance. Don't revile. We are to be set apart. Why is it that um, authoritarian, oppressive governments uh, hate Christianity so much? We talked about this on Friday. And they can't do whatever they want. There's a higher authority that, that we appeal to above government that they are to be subject to because all power is derived from God. All authority is derived from God. And if we're appealing to a higher authority than them, then they can't just do whatever they want. Or at least we're the voice of you can't do whatever you want. Right. So he sets this standard. Obey your leaders. Uh, uh, Again, it comes down to also the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, the, the idea of honoring authority, those over you. And then he gives examples on how Israel was to be separate and to display this. And he gives the examples immediately here of, of their worship and their diet. What does it say? I find that, you know, initially you read this, don't curse God, don't curse a leader, um, Pay your vows, pay your, you know, do your offering, do give the abundance of your of your fruit and all that stuff. What does that have to do with it? Well, the more you look at it, it's it, it's going right into the idea of a disciplined understanding of worship. First, the obedience and honoring of God, both in the offerings they're to give and in how they treat their bodies, what they're feeding their bodies. So you have the soul and the body both being disciplined under and, and, and controlled under the submission to, to God. Don't eat roadkill is a big thing. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. Don't eat, you know, <laughs> animals torn by other animals, which would be roadkill. Um, the offerings are to be rendered, but they're to be given at the right time. And the dedication of their firstborn sons is to be done at the right time. So is it, what is this talking about, by the way, this dedication of the firstborn? Is this uh, child sacrifice we're talking about here? Okay, Ty says yes, and I hear a 10-minute <laughs> more Ray Charles. Why do you say yes? Okay, you're, you're not really saying yes. Good, uh, because no. Um, <laughs> It's not real child sacrifice. What, what had been sacrificed in place of the child? Yes, but in this context, a lamb. Something had been sacrificed to redeem the firstborn. When did that start? In Egypt. In what, in what context? The Passover, right? And the, and the plagues in Egypt and Passover. Yes, it's all one big culmination to the Passover, you're right. So you have God redeeming the firstborn of Israel, or, or the Israelites, God calling for them to redeem through the sacrifice of a lamb or, or dove or, or 
the ritual kind of changes a little bit later on, um, depending on if you're poor, if you're rich, and those kinds of things. But he redeems them, didn't redeem Egypt, therefore firstborn all died. So this is a continuing thing. And he just points out here, don't delay doing that. Do it right on time. Be disciplined in your worship. Be disciplined in the submission to God saving your children, right? Um, the offerings will be tendered to God at the, at the right time. It's not child sacrifice. It's, it's redemption. Yes. Right, right. Yeah, no, he's, he's again, the, these are descriptive, and the prescriptive is we, we do need a redeemer for all of us. It's a picture of what's, what's to come. You're right. So we don't, now, there are some traditions that we do that kind of, um, that, that mirror that, 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 that pull off of that. I, I think, uh, you know, we do baby dedications, and there are some denominations that do baptism of children and those kinds of things that, that talk about devotion or, or we'll, that we will raise our children to, to grow up in the, the admonition of the Lord. That, uh, just, just the firstborn, yeah. Um, in this context, you know, my version says firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Mm -hmm. what, what did that mean? I mean, was that like raise them up in the temple or the gift, the gift to me has the context of um, on the eighth day they'll be circumcised and then they will also have this have this sacrifice done that redeems them okay. from. It wasn't like giving up your kid to go. No, learn. no. The first, okay. the firstborn was like also. He he links it here with the first fruits of the harvest. Right. Uh, the first, you know, the, of the grapes and the oil and all that stuff. It, it's linked to that kind of worship. You get the best the first. This a, a tithe, okay? The first ten percent idea, although. <coughs> We may talk about that sometime. It was more than 10 in the economy of Israel. Uh, it got to be around 30, ultimately. There's a temple tax, an offering here, and then there was some kind of government thing. I think the, the marginal rate was 23%. I can't remember exactly how that worked out. But I don't think that they did any kind of deductions. Um, that would come later with the Corbin law, but we'll talk about it some other time. <laughs> the clean animals, though, uh, you have the, the, the idea of the animals. The first of the, the flock was given to God. The first of the produce, the, the fruit was given to God. And the firstborn was dedicated to God. Uh, the clean animals were not redeemed. They were to be sacrificed, but the others, um, you know, you see that with the, with the idea of the ox. Why not give these animals prior to the eighth day. What do you think that is? A Sabbath idea? Sort of. What else happened on the eighth day? Yes. That right. But what's it grounded in? What do you think? 
yes, but what, what happened at the beginning in seven days? Creation. And on the seventh day, he rested and then started working again on the eighth. Is that the picture? This is grounded in the creative order. All of it is. Uh, the, the child is to be devoted to God on the eighth day after the seventh day uh, uh, period. The animals are given for sacrifice on the eighth day after, or, or, or set apart for that on, uh, uh, after they're born. Um, it highlights something. Men are set apart to me, consecrated in worship and consecrated in what they put in their bodies. God is weighty. Don't treat him lightly. Be set apart for him. It deals with the, the, the laws there of how they are to demonstrate they are set apart to God here. Then it moves on to something else. How else are they to be consecrated? What does it look like in terms of government? Chapter 23. Um, we were just told that the Israelites could not eat roadkill. Where does he go next, and where is this grounded? You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. Where, what is he talking about? Slander and libel? In what context? This is a trial issue, right? This is a court of law issue. Um, honor your leaders by being honest whenever there's a dispute and you're dealing with a dispute. No one is to lie on an evil person's behalf or what happens? What happens? An accessory to, to whatever has been perpetrated, right? Is that justice? That's not justice. What, what, yes? Um, and no, you're you're right. Uh, and we discussed last week on compassion for the poor, compassion for the the sojourner, love the sojourner. Um, we discussed that last week. But what does this tell us? It has to be just. It has to be just. And um, I was thinking that post that you did a couple days ago about people that uh, say everybody's judgmental or whatever. You, you always hear that whenever they say something negative, but not whenever they say something good. Right. It does. Even if it's a poor person who would benefit from our um, lying, our perverting of justice, that doesn't justify it. I didn't mean to do that. Um, it doesn't justify it. Um, compassion is not to be at the expense of justice. Mm -hmm. The person that was bringing the charge against them probably 
What happens if there is um, uh, a, a perversion of justice? Does that have a ripple effect throughout the entire society? Right. So if, if what is law, you're saying, we're not going to obey this law, we're going to pervert justice, or we're going to do it our own way, mm -hmm. you're placing yourself above God. You're, you're God everywhere else but here. Your justice is not good enough here because I am emotionally drawn to this person in this situation and I need to, you know. So you have basically the judge putting himself on the throne rather than being submissive to the law of God. I love this verse too. What does that tell you? You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. How often do we see that in the court of public opinion? Um, what are we to be ruled by? What the majority says or something that is objective outside of us, perfect? The law of God is to rule us and we are to use the wisdom and discernment that he gave and that's what he's instructing them to do. Um, it's not just about the poor. Who else? Who else? Are we supposed to be just? Your enemies. Your enemies. Animals. <laughs> sort of. Um, just your enemies? I Man, that's all it says. I would think so. It's assuming that you would at least be a decent neighbor to someone you like. Um, becoming less and less of an assumption these days, but, but it's assuming that. But your enemy. Do you see how love your enemy is not a New Testament novelty? It's not new. It's the same God, after the same heart, compelling, commanding, calling for the same actions. They may look a little different in context because we live in a different culture, but it's with the same idea. Love your enemy, compassion for the poor, love the sojourner, be just above all. The enemy was to be treated like a friend or a neighbor. It is assumed that you would do that for a neighbor. They are to be consecrated to Yahweh and how they treat their enemy. The enemy here can either be a personal foe or a national antagonist. You've got Philistia across the border. A donkey wanders over, and he's burdened. What are they to do? Shoot him. No. You unburden him and you take him back to your enemy. 
even if it causes an international incident. Proverbs 25, uh, 21 confirms that God compels us to have this compassionate treatment of one's enemies. And Jesus put it a little bit more starkly when he said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And it's love to your enemy to even lighten the load of his donkey in the most mundane, simple things. You're to love your enemy. Yeah, the accumulative amount of all the little things. Very good. Yeah. So, what does it say here? Um, whenever it says, uh, let's see, if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, I love the way he puts this. You shall refrain from leaving him with it. Why would he use that language? You've got to restrain what's there, Bubba, and help the donkey. You want to do, uh, and it's really, it puts the obligation to do good rather than just, oh, I'm just, it's there, I'm just passing over, and it's, it's just the way it is. It is what it is, that great tautology. It is what it is. And he says, no, you have a positive duty to restrain your heart that wants to just ignore the situation and relieve the burden to your enemy's animal. We have to be told to refrain from doing harm because this guy hates us. It's not natural. Caring for even his animals in, in such a way demonstrates the nature of God. How? How? God is compassionate and kind, and everyone who hates him will be judged. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Right? And we're to demonstrate that in how we treat our enemies. Now look at verse 6. It's the, it's the other side of the coin in verse 3, isn't it? You don't show partiality to the poor man in his lawsuit in verse 3. In verse 6, you shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. What, what do we see? What's the commitment here? Justice. justice. Regardless of who's on, who, on what side. We want justice. We want the truth. We're about the truth. That's what he is uh, putting upon those who are called by his name. And what is the opposite of that? Is uncertainty, isn't it? If you have certainty of justice, things click. There are boundaries. We know where we're going. We know what's going to happen. We act accordingly. If there's uncertainty, if there's chaos, people cannot let one go to waste. You know, it's one of those kinds of things. All right. What does this say about how they are convicted for crimes? In verse 7, look at that. Verse 7. Keep far from a false charge, and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. What does that say? What is that talking about? God is the ultimate judge. Okay. So we don't convict anybody ever. 
Okay. What is it? What is he saying there, though? He's saying be certain. Be certain. That you're going to convict people to make sure that you know. And if you don't, if they are uh, guilty of it, God will convict. Ah. Innocent until proven guilty. Isn't that interesting? In this backwards, dusty, illiterate culture, we have the bedrock of our criminal system in this one verse. It always bothers me when atheists make that argument. Why would God come to this backwards, you know, desert nomadic creek? Because his wisdom is what makes the difference, not location not the type of people. It's his wisdom. It's here. Innocent until proven guilty. It, again, he's focusing on the judges of Israel here. The concern here is for the condemnation of an innocent person. It's better for an, a wicked man to go free than an innocent man to be condemned. Right? And we can appeal to the ultimate judge, the ultimate authority. See, when it all rests on our level... There's that panic. What if we let him get away? But if it rests on who God is, that he's the ultimate judge, we do the best we can. We try to discern the truth. We err on the side of protecting the innocent. And God will be the judge, ultimately. God's control is very comforting. Right. Very good. Yeah, it also puts that same um, ominous statement for the judge as well. If you pervert justice to make someone who's innocent look guilty, I will by no means acquit the wicked. Yeah, that's good. All right. Look at verse 8. This idea of take no bribe and the description of it, this becomes a proverb later on. This um, take no bribe is kind of idiomatic for being corrupt in leadership, for personal corruption. It perverts justice, and and it's ongoing. You take one bribe, it's easier to take another and another and another, and justice is perverted again. Um, And then the judges are told especially, specifically, not to oppress a sojourner. Why? Why, why would they not oppress? Because they were sojourners. Because they were sojourners in Egypt, and you know, he says, they know the soul of a sojourner. What an interesting phrase. Carlos, I'm just kidding. It's just love the sojourners. Um, so what, what, what an interesting phrase. You know the soul of a sojourner. Why... Um, How vulnerable they are, fewer rights than a citizen, um, and the judges are not supposed to take advantage of that. Okay. Well, that was interesting. Forty minutes well spent. Um, tell me, uh, why are these laws thrown together? Why? Why is this kind of haphazard? Oh, by the way, these are the addendums here before we get to the Sabbath stuff, and then onto the 
ratification of the whole thing. Well, why is this all here together? Everybody's made in the image of God. Okay. And God's authority and justice is all. Okay. Um, I have written here, and, and I hope this is helpful. As those who are disciplined and consecrated in worship of the soul and care of the body, those who bear the name of God, each of these remaining commands is a means of honoring the functions of government, the testimony at trial, actively seeking peace in society, and being an honorable judge. That reflects honor those who are in authority. And ultimately, don't bear his name in vain. Don't treat him lightly. Romans 13, uh, 1 through 7. Real quickly. Romans 13, 1 through 7. And I have no time to really go through everything I wanted to. That's okay. Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. So that's not just Old Testament, that's New Testament too. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. What context is Paul talking about this? In what context? What's going on around him as he's saying be subject to authorities? Roman tyranny. People are being killed all the day long, he says in Romans. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Yet, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Um, do you see similarities here with what we saw in Ephesians? Submit one to another as unto Christ. Wives submit to husbands. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Children obey your parents in the Lord. Submission to authority. Slaves obey your masters as unto the Lord. And then you see it again here, the same idea. Submit to those, even if it's bad authority. There's a submission that goes on. They're put in place by God for now. <laughs> Whether for good or for judgment, this is where God is. This is where he has us. Submit to that. He tells Titus, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. Again, pulling from Exodus uh, twenty-two twenty-eight. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Perfect Courtesy. Hmm. Someone's wrong on the internet. Um, look at 1 Peter 2, 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Here's an interesting phrase. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom 
as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Even in the, in the context of persecution, what's at stake here? The gospel's at stake. Certainly. When the gospel was sort of error, they said you can't preach this anymore. Right. When uh, Jesus was born and they told everybody to kill all the Hebrew children and mm. midwives obviously disobeyed. Well, that, that's in Egypt. Yeah, that was in Egypt in, in Exodus. The Hebrew midwives. Oh, the, and the midwives. Yeah. But the similar okay, thing happened right. with Herod. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we have some, some case law going on right now that is challenging that. That is... Um, I think we're going to get there, but I don't know. Well, yeah, and, and, and do we obey God rather than man? But those cases are honoring the authority in that they're, they're using our system to bring this to light and let's make a decision on it. Let's bring it in cold, stark contrast. Here's what, we're, here's what the choice is. I think that's honoring. Is it honoring to, to obey God rather than man? Is it honoring to the authority? Is it loving to the authority to proclaim the gospel rather than, well, they told me not to speak. You know, tell, I, can't, I, can't, I can't talk about my exclusivity in Christ. So which is more loving? Which is more honoring? Right. So that's the distinction. If by following them we dishonor God, that's the primary yeah. primary law. And probably the only one, I, I don't know about Carlos, but probably the only one in this class who has actually had to do that is Renelle, mm -hmm. growing up in Cuba. Mm -hmm. um, because she did have to go to church secretly. Mm -hmm. They were prohibited. But I, I don't know, maybe some of y'all have other stories of actually having to do that. But I, I think in their world, Yeah. Right, right. Well, I think I think ultimately we have to remember that we're we're sojourners here. This is not our city. Um, there's a city of man and there's a city of God, and we belong to the city of God. But while we're here, Jeremiah twenty nine says that we're to seek the welfare of the city where God has sent us into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare, and you will find your welfare there. Welfare in the good sense, not in the public assistance program sense, but in the good sense. Um, what, what we're looking at is that while we're here, we're to be salt and light. Isn't that the way the New Testament terms it? And salt halts decay. So what we have is don't get comfortable here, but in your exile... 
Seek the good of the country you're in. Disciplined in our hearts for true worship. Disciplined in our bodies because they are the temple of his spirit. Our hope is not in the promise of the American dream. God forbid. Our hope is sure in Christ. Live to him. Live to him. Don't hope in a system built by man. No matter how lofty its ideals, it will be crushed under the weight of something that's lesser than the infinite God that we serve. Absolutely. Schaefer's How Shall We Then Now, How Should We Then Now Live in This Time and Time. He talks about that. The, the ideas of a nation will either sustain it or, or it will be crushed based on what is, um, it, it, it relies on what is infinite. All right. Any other, man, we ran long. Any other uh, comments, questions? Fruit to be thrown. All right, good. We will pray and move along. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. I confess I don't do this well. I get caught up in um, a lot of times anger with the trajectory that I see that our nation is going and it spills over into um, attacks that are not uh, God honoring. So I ask you to forgive me for that and help me from the heart to challenge things that are evil in the nation without um, cursing the ones that you have put in authority. Father, I do pray for righteousness to be once again poured out on our nation, that your spirit would cause the hearts of men to return to Christ to seek him while he may be found. I believe that the gospel has an effect on a country, and it should, and that it would trend more toward God-honoring rather than man-exalting. But we're not on that trajectory now, and so I do pray for our nation. I pray for, for your church in America that she would wake up, pray for our culture, our nation, that she would boldly proclaim the gospel of reconciliation, forgiveness in Christ, and a call to holiness. Be with us as we go into the next service. Be with Philip. Help him to speak uh, what you would have us hear today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.